Welcome to the New Jersey Department of Education's Bureau of Bilingual ESL Education Podcast. I'm Ken Bond, a state program coordinator and your host. In this podcast, we have bite-sized conversations about English language learner education with leaders in the field. In this episode, I'll be talking with Barbara Tedesco, a consultant, former principal, and the historian for the state organization, NJTSOL, NJBE. Barbara, thanks for being my guest on this episode. Ken, thank you so much for having me, and I want to say how wonderful it is that technology has allowed you to create these podcasts and have them archived on the website. Yeah, I'm really excited to get especially this episode out, so thank you so much for being my guest. You have been involved in ELL education for a while. How did you get involved in your work with ELLs? How did, how did that start? What was the genesis of your career with ELLs? Well, I started out as a FLES teacher in Spanish, foreign language uh, in the elementary schools back in the early days. I won't say how many decades ago. But at that time, I decided to do a master's in Spanish. And Fairleigh Dickinson had just started a program. And so as they were going to the different foreign language master's program sections, they asked if anybody was willing to transfer into this new program called ESL had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I did make the switch. So happy I did. So let me just give you the decade. It was 1974. Okay. All right. And then the rest became history. What has your role been in documenting the history of ELL education in New Jersey? I know that you're the historian for NJTSL, NJBE. So what does that mean? Well, let me go back to the year 1979. And I had attended my first NJTSOL, NJBE conference. And that's the state organization? The state organization for bilingual ESL um, educators. So in 1979, I was just hanging around the lobby waiting for the conference to start. And I walked up to somebody and said, "Um, how do you get involved in this organization? And if there's anything I could ever do, you know, just let me know. About a month later, I got a phone call from the president, at that time Roberta Kanarik, inviting me to a meeting and asking if I would become the membership chairperson. In 1989, I did take on the vice presidency and did my six-year term. Didn't want to leave the organization because one of the benefits was I was finding out things firsthand, which I was then able to transfer to my district and be very proactive rather than reactive as changes were taking place. And so the position became open because the former historian wanted to terminate um, and go on to other ventures. And so I was approached to be the historian. Depending on whom you speak with, it could be historian, it could be archivist, But I'm the keeper of the history. (laughs) The keeper of ESL and bilingual history in New Jersey. Uh. Wonderful. So, Barbara, could you tell me a little bit about the history of NJTSOL, NJBE, how it got started, where the idea came from as, you know, the the current historian of or or archivist of the organization? It's, It's really funny because when I became the historian archivist, I took all the minutes 
that anybody in the organization had and I just like put them around my floor and just started putting them in chronological order trying to read penmanship because people were not even using typewriters at that <laughs> time uh, but what I did find out is that the conversation started with Paul Hilaire and I'm talking about Paul Hilaire going back into the early 60s like 63, 64 and where did Paul work? And Paul worked here at the department, but I think most people knew him because of his foreign language background. And so then the conversation went to uh, a few years later at Montclair State with the woman by the name of Janet Susie, who reached out to a member here at the department by the name of Elaine Adler. And they actually talked about creating an organization. And that organization became institutionalized as NJ TESOL. TESOL is the international organization, and New Jersey TESOL is what we started as back in the day in, in, the, um, in 1969. And then there was a movement about bilingual education. And so NJ TESOL, NJBE became founded and we're going to be celebrating a major milestone in the year 2019. I hope to be around for that celebration. And, but I laugh because... And what milestone is that? Um, do the subtraction, 1969 <laughs> to 2019. I, I just can't believe all those 50 years. 50 years. Wow. Yeah, 50 years. It's, it'll, it'll be wonderful. In your mind, what milestones can you point to as events that furthered equity for ELLs in New Jersey? You had all those roles in NJT, mm. so NJBE. You were a principal, is yes. that correct, in a district? And you've been an ESL teacher. So what are those milestones for equity in New Jersey that, that stand out in your mind? Well, of course, I'm going to refer back to 1974 and the historical uh, Lau versus Nickel. Uh, that is instrumental, the fact that we had a strong bilingual ESL code in New Jersey speaks uh, volumes to the people who continue to advocate. I also think that um, WIDA has made such a difference in terms of having uh, standards and the way we approach the teaching of English language learners. I'm so glad that we adopted to be a part of that consortium. Can you explain a little bit more about what that relationship is now and what may or may not have been there before WIDA came along? So, so first, what is, what is WIDA? How do you view WIDA in terms of its relationship to New Jersey? And then, you know, what, what, what did we have before WIDA? Okay, before WIDA, uh, I'll go back to the research of Jim Cummings. I mean, people in that were educators but not aware of what we did with our English language learners thought it was all social language. They had no understanding of the academic part. So referring to Jim Cummings, it's the BICs versus CALPS. Then over the years, and as BICs, just, just BICs, the basic interpersonal doesn't. communication skills, the hellos, the how are you's, how was your weekend, your 4th of July. 
But then when you think about CALPS, it's the academic language of our classroom. It's the foundation. And with WIDAS, so whether it's, you know, you're referencing Margot Gottlieb, you're talking about Jeff's wires, the whole topic of academic language is the essence of what our students need to master in order to be successful in school and go on in their futures and be productive citizens of our global world. So I think that by us being part of WIDA, setting our five standards of social and instructional language, the language of language arts, the language of math, the language of social, uh, science and social studies, that really has said, what is the crux of it? And it's not just the ESL teacher's responsibility. It's every teacher who works with that student, including having administrators understand that role. That's a big change. So WIDA, in your mind, has brought English language learner education out of just this ESL secluded room to everyone's attention and has con constructed a framework really for people to think about helping English language learners learn academic language? Absolutely, and I think the more we get a chance as teachers to who work with our colleagues in the gen ed, that is, um, that is so powerful a message to give them because whether somebody has been in the field for a while, um, our instruction from higher education didn't always bring that to the forefront. And I think now as I poll participants in trainings I do, people are not aware even to this day how they are teachers of English language learners and teachers of language as well as content. And I think it benefits all students, not just the English language learner. Yeah, yeah. How have you seen the role of ESL and bilingual teachers change over time? Because you really, you were in one of the first ESL <laughs> cohorts, right? Training mm -hmm. cohorts. You have really seen the progression over time of what it means to be an ESL teacher or a bilingual teacher. So how have things changed in your mind? Well, I had no curriculum to go from. Even though there might have been a code that said we needed to have a curriculum, nobody really looked at it. So there's no ESL there, curriculum right. per se. There, you would go in your room, you would close the door and do whatever it is you thought was needed. So if it was a list of vocabulary, if you decided to do something hands-on, it was a project. I mean, I could look back and say, wow, I think I did pretty well, except I remember having the Lotto series, which was a lot of repetition and worksheets. Um, but, you know, going through the years, that's the one thing I remember. You know, being so secluded, not working with anyone, there were materials, but they were not relevant materials. So that's one change I see. Talking about working with a colleague in the gen ed, well, that's if you felt like you wanted to do it, and now it seems like it's just so important that, again, the ESL teacher try to articulate with those gen ed teachers. And if you can't do it face to face, we have the technology to do it. And I'm laughing because I used to go to seven buildings in one day. Wow. I thought that was a lot, but I remember somebody by the name of Jill DeRoro, who was the head of the OEO, 
um, Office of Equal Educational Opportunity. There's that history again. And she said when she started, she went to 11 buildings in a day. Now, you just check out to see if that's at all possible. By the time you get in your car, you travel, you find a parking space, and then you had to go pick up the students and find a room for yourself because there was no room waiting for you. So you took advantage of every spot and your classroom is where your bag was and where you and the student would be. How do you see links to the past and future opportunities that are on the horizon? And where do you see those intersections currently as you look to the future of ELL education in New Jersey? That's a great question, Ken. I wish I had a um, one of those balls to look <laughs> into the future. I think what we've learned from the past and what we continue to move forward is there still has to be advocacy. We just can't be complacent. We can't leave the advocacy only to veteran ESL teachers and many of the people like myself who are so-called retired. I think that the newer uh, teachers have to be aware of why advocacy is so important. There have been times in the history of our own state that we've almost lost our bilingual code. And it's not that it's bilingual, it's bilingual in ESL, so people need to understand the relationship. I think what has happened over the last few years has been a tremendous movement forward. And for that, I'm talking about the seal of biliteracy. I see that as a great opportunity for English language learners to feel validated. I think this has been a wonderful bridge in working with the foreign language educators of New Jersey that we can continue to get more districts to understand the validity of a dual language program and starting in those earliest grades. Um, I think that's the work we have as part of our next step. We need to get people to understand that this is a positive um, design and not to look at that as negative and think that there are other things that take precedent. Language is precedent. Language is our communication. And every time we turn on the TV, the radio, or read something on our tablets, it's all about a shrinking world. So yeah, I, I really embrace this seal of biliteracy movement but know now that we have to go down to the lower grades and have a program of continuity. Mm -hmm. You are someone who I view as a resource guru. <laughs> I love <laughs> getting together and hearing what books, what books you've been reading and what new information you've been devouring because you really are, are a person I respect for staying current on what's happening in our field. Are there any past resources that you see as seminal works in our field? And with those works in mind, how did they influence where we are now in New Jersey? Well, we can go back to Krashen and Cummings, but uh, I think everyone is aware of their work. I think we have to look at the work of Margot Gottlieb. Again, not only is she a co-developer of WIDA, uh, but and of our standards, but she has her thumbprint on so many different areas, and I think her latest is on the assessment of our English language learners. I still, you know, um, look at, to a gentleman by name of Claude Goldenberg, and he says what we research says we should do, and what we 
shouldn't be doing. And I think he had his, um, again, finger right on the right buttons. In a bilingual ESL seminal work, we can go back to Lily Wong Fillmore and again bring in the others. But most recently, you know, Jana Echevarria, Mary Ellen Vogt, and Deborah Short with a sheltered instruction observation protocol because again, they're talking about what are effective practices for English language learners. I previously mentioned Jeff Zweers with academic language. That again is such a connection to WIDA in a recent WIDA conference where he was a keynote speaker and a presenter. He really gets down into um, what is academic language. So as teachers out there and educators are listening to this podcast and thinking about the history of bilingual and ESL education, how far we've come, and how much work there still is to do, what encouragement do you have for them? Because this is very difficult work, as you know. It's work that requires a tremendous amount of effort and commitment. So what, what encouraging words would you have for the teachers and educators listening to this podcast? Just, again, I'm going to do something very visual. I think what people have to understand is take the face of an L student that you've taught. Keep that face foremost in your mind. Think about the struggles that he or she has gone through to be here. The struggle they have every day in their social life as well as in their academic life. And yes, I know people are very concerned about test scores, but there was a, an educator, Dr. Gagliardi, and I'll never forget it when he said, behind every test score is the face of a student. That to me just struck home. When I was the bilingual ESL supervisor and even as a principal of a bilingual school, it was about keeping that foremost in my mind. The test scores will eventually get there, but we're talking about our children, our students. So you need to continue to keep that face in mind and no matter what you do, in your, if you're the only teacher in your building or even in your district, you have to be their voice. You are their advocate. Sometimes you feel like you're their parent. You feel like you're their friend, the guidance counselor, the social worker. You're all of it. And whatever you do and whatever say and what actions you take, you need to keep that student in mind. It's why you've chosen to be in ESL. Um, I also want to say is that if educators have a chance to move out an adjunct, I think that we have to do a better job at the higher ed levels. Thank you for those powerful words. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been just wonderful talking to you and, and hearing about your experience and the history of our field. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like more information about ESL bilingual education in New Jersey, please visit our website at www.nj.gov forward slash education forward slash bilingual. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Also, please leave a review. It helps new listeners find us.